0: We're going to turn now to God's word, and uh, just by way of introduction, it seems like, I mean, this is the, the second week that we have had no service here, except uh, we're doing you know the online broadcast, and I think for some people, it, it feels like we're getting more used to this new normal, um, and then I think for others, um, this week was worse than last week, uh, and so like I, I know that more of our folks have lost their jobs. Um, and there's still so much uncertainty, and this is why it's important to stay safe and stay connected to each other. And as I've listened to people talk about the national global pandemic, um, from my perspective, it seems like at the core of what we're all collectively experiencing is really just this lack of control. Uh, that what's happened is that we're not in control, and. I think before maybe we thought we were in control, but just like Jessica was saying, I mean, who knew that a virus could cripple our economy in such a short period of time? And what we're learning here is that we really don't have the kind of control that we thought we did. Um, There is so much uncertainty right now. And so as your pastor, I've been spending time thinking and praying and like trying to understand what does the Bible have to say to us? Who in the Bible was going through things that could relate to where we are right now? And I wanted to give you, I wanna give you perspective from God um, so that you can stay connected to him during all of this. And so um, like we did last week after the message, uh, we're gonna have a time of Q and A. And so if there are questions that you're wrestling with, please send them in. You can either put them in the chat, you can send them with a direct message with Facebook. and, uh, and we'll spend some time after the message uh, answering your questions, and just trying again to stay connected so that you can get answers from Scripture and from God uh, in terms of the things that you're dealing with. And so we've been we've been looking at the Book of Revelation. You know, Revelation it's a it's an odd book to go to at a time like this because Revelation is one of the most confusing books in the Bible. You know, if you've read it and gotten anywhere close to you know a, a majority of the way through it, it's it's Revelation is kind of like when someone tries to tell you about this crazy dream they had and, and you're listening to them talk and it seems like there's so many different things and they're all disconnected and discombobulated and it's, it's it seems like you can't put all the pieces together and frankly, sometimes they can't even put the pieces together and they had the dream. And so it's really confusing trying try to wade through the book of Revelation with all its symbols and its images um, and so for our purpose today, what I really want us to do is I want to look at some of the overarching themes in the book. And so today we're going to look at five themes on the next section of Revelation. We looked at the first five chapters um, last week, and this week we're going to look um, from chapter 6 through chapter 14. And what I want us to do is I want, us, I want you to see people that were going through really difficult times and how God responds to their suffering and their tribulation. And so we're going to do five themes in Revelation. And the first theme that we're going to see in the, <coughs> in the book of Revelation is that life gets crazy. <laughs> life gets crazy. Um, if you've ever heard the phrase, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, that comes from the book of Revelation. A- and we see that. Uh, the four horsemen of the apocalypse are released in Revelation chapter 6, verses 1-8. through eight. It says this. It says, Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, This is the seven-sealed scroll from uh, chapter five that we looked at last week. Um, And it says, And I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come! And I looked, and behold, a white horse and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. And so here we see this conquering army, uh, which was in the first century, it was the growing Roman Empire. It was emerging and it was dominating over everything. Next verse, verse 3 says, When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come, and out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. And so what we see here is that with the conquering imperialism of the Roman army, many, many, many are slain from the wars. Verse 5, when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come. And I looked and behold a black horse and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be the a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying this, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil and wine. And this is a symbolic way to demonstrate the, the, the scales there and the weight. There um, uh, is, uh, is the picture of the marketplace. And what we see here, these are the conditions of famine. And it, it makes sense because after famine and slaying, you've, or after wars and conquering and, and, and slaying, you've got famine. And so famine strikes and there is scarcity, there is hunger, and there is poverty. <coughs> Verse 7, when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come and i looked and behold a pale horse and its rider's name was death and hades followed him and they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by the wild beasts of the earth just an interpretive thing here anytime you see the word earth in the book of revelation it's usually referring to the land to the promised land of israel and so but that's another Another conversation. So what we see here, though, is with this fourth horse, death reigns in the wake of all of this. The conquering, the wars, the famine, death is reigning. Society is being decimated. And in all of this, the Christians in the first century who actually went through this, after the book was written, they went through these things. They experienced these things. And Christians suffered And they were brutalized by both the Jews of their day and by the Romans, both of whom wanted to destroy the movement of people that were following Jesus. Life was crazy. Life was crazy for them in ways that even are more severe than the craziness that so far we're experiencing uh, in our day right now. So the second theme I want you to see from the book of Revelation is I want you to see Christians lament with honest frustration. Okay, Christians lament with honest frustration. This is Revelation 6, verses 9 and 10. It says this, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness that they had borne. And they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true How long? Those two words, how long? Even before this virus hit, so many of us in our church family have been asking, how long, God? God, how long will I have to deal with this? How long until this gets better? And now it feels like all of us have been plunged into this flood and we're asking the same question, how long? These who have been martyred for their faith, they're asking, how long before you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Understandable when you've been slain for your faith. And, and so here, I just, I love the honesty that the book of Revelation has in the way that God constantly invites us to bring our brokenness, to bring our struggles, to bring our frustrations to him. And so what we see here is that these Christians are lamenting and and you know, the difference between a complaint and a lament, the Bible says, don't complain. And it looks down on complaining, Um, but it then teaches us to lament. It's like, what's the difference? Well, let me explain it. Um, A complaint is me and my circumstances against God. But a lament is me and God against my circumstances. So, the circumstances we don't have control over so much. And what God invites us to do in our lamenting, when anything is uncertain, when anything is bad, when anything is broken in us or outside of us or in the world that we live in, God invites us to come into His presence. And to join him and to be honest. God, we're frustrated. God, we're struggling. God, we don't want it to be this way. God, how long are you going to do this? God, are you listening? God, are you paying attention? God, do you understand that we're here? Like in all of these ways, we want it to be us and God against our circumstances. And so this theme of lamentation, this theme of honest frustration, even toward God, is one of the themes of this book. And then the third theme that we see, and we're really looking right now in Revelation 6, but this spans the rest of the book. But the third third theme that we see is God's response. God's response is, be patient and trust. Be patient and trust. Revelation 6 verse 11 says this, Then they, these are the folks who were lamenting, they were each given a white robe, And told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. And so God is saying here, look, you come and be honest with me. Be honest and bring your lament. And then I will be honest with you. God says there's a plan that I am working and as much as it pains me, as, my, you know, as it pains you, my plan includes having my people be strong enough to endure suffering with patience. There are many more of my people who will suffer and who will display Jesus in their suffering, even unto death, as they have hope and they have confidence in Jesus's victory over death in his resurrection. And so God is saying that it is a powerful testimony for you to testify of me, to live for me and to follow me, even when things are difficult, even if it means losing your life, you display me and you display hope and confidence in Jesus when you do this. And so he says, be patient and trust me. And then we see later on in the book, Revelation 13.10 says this. Here is the call for the endurance and faith of the saints. And the saints, these are just God's special people. So anyone who believes in Jesus is called a saint in the Bible. You don't have to be some super spiritual person. The Bible says if you follow Jesus, you're a saint. And all saints are called to endure to the endurance and the faith of the saints. Revelation 14 verses 12 and 13 says, again, here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Verse 13 says, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow them. And so Revelation comes to us today and it says, be patient and trust that God is at work in the midst of all of this. God sees it all. He knows what you're going through and he is bringing good out of it all. And when you see this, when you believe it, when you can hear God's word say it, when you hear our life group leaders testifying to it, I mean, this changes us. It changes us, especially if we're honestly lamenting. Because it's us and God together versus our circumstances. So brothers and sisters, be patient and trust God today, even in suffering. Because we know that even if the worst should happen, and the worst happened in the book of Revelation, but even if the worst should happen, we get to rest from our labors. So a fourth theme that we see in the book of Revelation, and this one's huge, uh, God shares heaven's perspective. So God shares with us the perspective from heaven. You know, oftentimes things go wrong, and we're like, what in the world's happening here? We don't see any good. God, what are you doing in this? And we wish we could see life from heaven's perspective. Well, the book of Revelation shows us just that. In the midst of all of what's crazy, There is a war going on, a a bigger war that is profoundly spiritual. So Revelation 12 describes this war. Revelation 12 verse 1 says, And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pangs and the agony of giving birth. And so this is this is an idealized heavenly description of God's people, um, archetypally pictured in Mary, the mother of Jesus. Um, and I, I as, as I read this, I think and I know. I mean, we have folks in our church that are pregnant. Some who are really close to giving birth, and and it, everything gets like all the fear and the anxiety ratchets up. And I think about Mary. It seems like the only thing that's more difficult and more painful than enduring suffering is bringing a child into a world where there is this kind of suffering, where you know that they're going to experience pain and loss, uncertainty. And so God understands that. He knows the fears that you have for your children unborn, but also the children that are born, that are lost, that are wandering, And even the ones that are staying close to Jesus, like the suffering that they are going through and the uncertainty that they're dealing with. Revelation 12 goes on. Verse 3 says, And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. Verse four goes on, and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. (coughs) And so there was this war going on between the devil and God. Do you see that? Like that's this dragon, this great red dragon. He's trying to kill the baby, trying to kill Mary's baby, the son of God, Jesus himself. And so there's this war going on between the devil and God over the birth of Jesus. The devil tried to destroy Jesus as as a baby. And you can read that in Matthew chapter 2. And then again, throughout his ministry, the devil was trying to unseat Jesus and trying to dethrone him. And it looked like the devil succeeded when Jesus was crucified but then God raised Jesus from the dead and Jesus ascended into heaven and now sits on God's throne. Verse seven, now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon, verse nine, was thrown down that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And verse 12 says, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, He pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. And this is fantastic imagery. It's apocalyptic imagery. And there's all kinds of, there's metaphors here. This is the church. This is, the woman is now the the people of God. Verse 15 says the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured forth from its mouth. Verse 17, then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. On those who keep the commandments of God and hold the testimony of Jesus. So lots of detailed images here. In these visions, they depict things and they depict events that actually happened during the time between Jesus' birth and the destruction of the Jewish temple in 70 AD. But the big picture, the big picture that God was communicating to them in the first century that's helpful for us is this there's a spiritual war that's taking place throughout all of history. There is a spiritual war. And our lives are the battleground for this war. It's so much bigger than politics and culture, although it includes all that. It's so much bigger than viruses and suffering, but it includes all of that. It's the war between God and the devil. It's the war between good and evil. It's the war between. Uh, it's it's the war that God created us to fight like God designed us and made us in his image so that we would fight against evil, that we would fight against what is wicked inside of us and in, in the world. God wants us in this war where, where you and me, where we all choose God in his ways, where we all fight against giving into the temptation to selfishness. We all give in to the temptation to be short and angry Um, to be controlling, where we fight against the temptation to get our own way. We fight against the temptation to just be comfortable. It's the war where we embrace the mission that God has given each one of us, to love him and to love others. With all this extra time that we have, um, so many people have so much more time. um, And not all of us, but a lot of us have a lot more time, and what's What's amazing about this is that we as Christians above everyone else, we have the chance to use this time to fulfill the mission that God has given us. To love him and to love our neighbors. Our neighbors at home, our neighbors in our neighborhood, uh, the folks that we know in church, the folks that we know from work. It's again, it's staying safe and staying connected. It's caring about people like this is the mission that God has given us to to be faithful, to put Jesus first in everything, to want to honor him and obey him in every part of our lives. This is how we do battle in this war. And God's part in this war is twofold. God does two things in this war. First, God shows us that Jesus was victorious in the resurrection, that Jesus was right And that Jesus' way of life overcomes the worst that hell can do. That Jesus was victorious in the fullest sense. He overcame everything in his resurrection. And so God rescues us from sin and from evil and from selfishness by overwhelming us with his love and the assurance of the victory of Jesus. That it means that we are forgiven and it brings us into God's family. And so God first participates in this war by sending his son who was victorious (laughs) over all things. But then the second thing that God does in this war, and this is so important, the second thing God does is that God sides with us against the evil in the world. Now we are God's representatives in the world. And so we're not just called to obey God so that we can show God that we love him and that we're willing to do anything for him because of all that he has done for us, although that's true. But that's not all the reason that we obey. We are also called to obey God so that we can show the world what God is like. This is huge. This is why our response to suffering, this is why our response to the uncertainty, that's why our response to all of this is so important. Because God responded to suffering in Jesus with forgiveness and patience. Jesus responded to suffering that we inflicted on him by accepting the burdens of our sins. We have radically hurt Jesus. And Jesus takes that hurt and holds the weight of our sins and says, I still love you. I'm still committed to you. I understand that some of what you're doing, you don't want to do. You don't understand what you're doing. You don't even know that you're hurting me in some ways. But I'm still committed to you. I still love you. And I'm going to respond to you with forgiveness and grace. I want you to have peace So that the things in you that need to be worked on, you can know that you can work on those things in love. And if Jesus responds to us that way, that's how he wants us to respond to others. So Jesus didn't retaliate, but he was willing to suffer our burdens. And God puts all of his eggs into our basket meaning that right now God has put his reputation into our responses. Our response in life, especially our response to suffering, says more about who God is than just about anything else our friends and neighbors know about Jesus. They need to see it in us. God wants them to see it in us. And so... We are in the battle of Revelation 12 every day of our lives. There is a war going on. The dragon is coming after us, sometimes in overt ways, sometimes in subtle ways, but he is trying to get us to leave our faith, to not respond as Jesus did, to not be filled and moved and controlled by love. And so what we do matters. How we act and how we react is our participation in this war. So, then the last theme that I want you to see in this part of the book of Revelation is this. And it's related, but just that it's God, it's that God loves and protects his people. God loves and protects his people. And it's a good thing he does this, right? (laughs) Because if he's going to put his eggs in my basket, if he's not with me, I'm going to fail. I'm going to fail. Even with him, I still fail. But God loves and protects his people. Revelation 7, verses 2 to 4. This is really powerful. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. The 144,000 is a metaphor for the the people of God. It's referring to God's people. And and did you see there, verse 3, it says, Do not harm until we have sealed the servants of our God. What does this mean? Well, this means that God loves us. He puts his seal on us. He puts his seal on our foreheads. There's another part of the book of Revelation that makes it clear that that seal is his name. It's God's name on our foreheads, that we belong to him, that we are part of his family. And so we see here that God loves his people. He cares for them. And, and, and his seal is a guarantee of his love and an assurance that he will be with us. And so what this means, though, because that word until, um, man, that word until means that when life gets crazy, we will go through it. So being sealed, you know, you'd think being sealed means that we're going to be able to escape from it. Not in the book of Revelation. We are sealed so that we can go through it. And so when life gets crazy, we will go through it. But we will not go through it alone. We will not go through it alone. But to be sealed means to have the guarantee of God's love. And so we have that. In Revelation 14, this is the verse that I mentioned a second ago. Verse 1, it says, Then I looked and behold on Mount Zion stood the Lamb and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And so the passage shows that being sealed by God means that we have God's name on our foreheads. And friends, for us today, this is the wonder of baptism. In baptism, as water is poured over us, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God is adopting us into his family. He is giving us his name. And so we have his promises. And so this is our God. This is our God. He wants us to stand strong and to live on mission. And so he gives us his strength. He gives us this reminder that this is how they treated Jesus, he suffered, and so they're going to treat us this way too. But this also reminds us that God wants us to know that when we fail, and we will, God's reputation will, be, will suffer. God's reputation in the world suffers when we fail as his people. But we have his assurance that he still loves us, and he still forgives us. And he seals us because we're his adopted children. So friends, let's, let's embrace this. Let's receive the love of God. Let's remember that we have his seal on our foreheads, that we're his children he's never going to let us go. And then let us face the war and do our part to say no to sin and selfishness, to say no to bitterness and anger, but to be patient and endure to trust Jesus and to follow him and to share his forgiving and understanding love with others, especially since we are confined in close proximity and our patience is required like even more. So let's go to the Lord and let's pray. Heavenly father, Father, We thank you for this book, and though so much of it is confusing, we thank you for these themes that speak to our hearts and move us. God, we love you, and we thank you that when there is so much uncertainty that we at least know that every day of our lives is part of this battle, and we get to be a part of the war. Like We get to fight on your behalf. And so we pray that you would fill us with your spirit, give us your strength, and then help us, God, to be faithful, to patiently endure so that we can honor you and continue to share with the world around us your love, your grace, and your forgiveness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
1: Thank you, Pastor Stephen such good stuff i love that i love that quote that you said about um complaints versus laments how like our complaints are when we bring me and my circumstances against god like god why 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 this but a lament is being able to bring god into our circumstance and say god i, I can actually believe you're good in this let's look at this together it's so so good um thank you you're welcome um so yeah church at this time we're gonna open the floor up for a little bit of i a Q&A. i've I'm, I'm going to be monitoring your questions here um, on Facebook Live. Thank you for sending them in. Um, you can continue to do so for, uh, during this time. Uh, if you want your question to be anonymous, you can also direct message us uh, or message us on Instagram at City SD. Uh But we're just going to open up the floor for a few minutes just for some questions that are coming from our congregation, from our people. Um, so I'll start with this one. Uh, for you, Stephen, this question is, with everything that's going on, I almost feel guilty about praying to God with issues that to me are important, but in the grand scheme of things seem minuscule. Am I selfish for these prayers? And like, is that a selfish way to be praying? What would you say?
0: Wow. Well, it's interesting that this week, the thing that hit me was there are all kinds of things that I had been struggling with before the coronavirus hit. And then the coronavirus hit and everything is different. Everything has changed (laughs) this week. I feel like a lot of the stuff I was struggling with sort of reared its ugly head again in my own life. And I thought, oh, (laughs) yeah, so I've still got that that I'm dealing with. And and so, I don't know, your question sort of reminded me of that experience this week. I mean, the short answer is no, it's not selfish. Um, I do think in the same way that when we see extreme suffering it maybe puts our suffering into perspective and maybe it helps us to recognize that things could be a lot worse which might produce some gratitude or thankfulness to god in the midst of the things that you're struggling with Um, we have an amazing god who knows us so personally that he understands when we're at our own personal limit even if our personal limit is not as strong as someone else's limit And so you shouldn't feel guilty, I would just say pray about all the above, you know, to the degree that you are still struggling and still need God to do things, pray about those things. Um, But then also pray about the more significant things that you feel like might make your prayers seem small. Um, If you care about it, then God as your Heavenly Father cares about it, too. And so go to him and be free in his presence. And you can even confess that because it could be that God might use that feeling that you have to lead you into something deeper. And it could be a prayer like, God, I feel as though these things that I'm wanting to talk about are insignificant. And so is there something that you want me to see that I'm not seeing now? Or is there a bigger vision that you want me to have for the world? Um, And depending on what the struggles are, I know even with some of my own personal struggles, sometimes having a mission to see something else through or to focus on something else can even help me with some of my struggles, so, yeah. yeah.
1: So good. Um, we have more of like a text analysis question from the sermon. You okay. want it? Yeah, go for it. Sweet. This one, this question says, where did the word demons come from in the Bible? Or sorry, where did the word demons come from if the Bible was referring to them as angels?
0: Oh, interesting. Okay, so because the devil and his angels. um, Well, the word, yeah, so that's that's where it's coming from in Revelation 12. Um, And so the word angel is actually used for a lot of things in the Bible. Um, In the technical, like the most general definition is is that it's a messenger. And so messengers are, they look a lot different. So they are the angelic beings, like we think about angels. Uh, but then sometimes the word angel is used for just regular messengers that are human beings. And so the Bible doesn't say everything about demons in this passage. It really just makes reference to them as the devil had his own messengers, his own servants. And so he, the, the, where it says that the dragon swept his tail and he took a third of the stars Most Bible scholars think that that's a reference to the fact that you had all of these angels that were up in heaven with God. And when the devil, who was Lucifer, um, when he betrayed God and fell, that he brought a third of those angels with him. They followed him uh, and they fell with him. And so, so his messengers were angels at one time. And when they fell, now we refer to them as demons to distinguish them from the angels that have stayed true to God.
1: Hopefully that answers that question for you. <laughs> That's great. Um, okay, let's see here. These are great guys. Keep sending them in. This is this is a good one. This one says, due to the way politics are right now, there's still a segment of society who haven't like fully bought into this social distancing or like any other of those restraints, saying it's overblown for political purposes. Like when when they're friends, when these are people that we love and we care for, like how do we respectfully respond? Like how do we
0: do that gosh that's a great question um and it's, it's not just politics that creates these divisions i think the desire to have party to, to party um <laughs> also thrusts people away from social distancing as some reports of spring break things in florida have hit the news recently where you just have people that have thrown caution to the wind and are suffering because of it um i think that the best responses that I've seen that cross political aisles is a recognition that, well, so I I would say that if you're dealing with someone who is less concerned than you are, then I think the best way to respond is to figure out, is there anything in what they think that might have some validity to it? And so I would, I would start by saying it's very clear that there are, political and financial gains to be made by mischaracterizing the data in both directions. And so I would say that, yeah, the people who we're hearing from are not unbiased in this and they have a stake in the game and they have a desired outcome. And it's human to that those outcomes would influence their perspective and even the data that they share or the data that they hide. And so I would affirm that um, and then I think that the best that you can do is to simply say that you might not be concerned about your own health, but the most vulnerable among us that can't defend themselves, they are at the mercy of our ability to social distance. And that I mean, I just I think about people in my own family, but even our church family, like we have people that will die if they're exposed to this and so when i think about that that causes me to say we're not going to have this meeting in person we're going to do this over zoom we're going to get on the phone together Um, we've paired back the number of people even that are gathered here uh, on like here in our setup in the warehouse um, down to the bare minimum so that we can make sure that we're able to broadcast effectively but but not bringing anybody here that doesn't need to be here. That's why Chad and Annette were, were broadcasted in from home. So That's why we're six feet away. Right? <clears throat> That's why we're six we're feet away. That's right. 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 My knee right might be five and a half feet, so let me turn my knees this way. No, I'm just kidding. Um, and so it's hard. I mean, the issue isn't the virus. The issue is the inability to communicate and the inability for some people to not be able to hear um, because they're politically convinced and they've dug their heels in. And that's hard. So I think just trying to help people understand the real danger of spreading a virus um, is maybe your best bet. And then just to pray and try to be, you know, to do your best to, again, try to affirm what you can in, in their perspective so that they can see that you care about their concern in hopes that they might then care about your concern. That's great.
1: We got time for maybe a couple more. Probably won't be able to get to all your questions, but we're stoked to see you sending them in. Please keep sending them in because even after today, we want to be able to sit with them and answer them and and be able to wrestle through these questions. Yeah, maybe on some day,
0: like a daily video, or we do a Facebook yeah. Live or something like that. We might can, yeah, we'll think about that. Mm-hmm.
1: Awesome. Okay, so one of these, another question we have is uh, kind of tied into the sermon is what what do you think it means practically to be sealed by God and with God's name? Also in Ephesians one thirteen says, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed you were marked in him with a seal and the promise Holy Spirit.
0: So good. Um, Yeah, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 is a passage that was in my sermon and then I had to cut it out for length, but yeah, um, baptism is the time when God's name is called over us. That's what James 2, 7 says. Uh, And in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, it says, we're baptized into the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so it's it's an adoption ceremony, and so God is adopting us. So being sealed by God is it means, it means that we are legally adopted by God, and so we are His children. Which means He commits to being our His to being our Father. Which means that all of the promises that God lays out for His children are ours. And Ephesians one says that, <laughs> you had a different version. Um, it's that uh, when we believe, we were sealed with the Holy Spirit a promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. And so we receive the Holy Spirit because God wants us to be sure that all of his blessings are coming and they will be ours in the future. And so we get to experience just a foretaste of those blessings with the presence of the Holy Spirit now. And so to be sealed means we have God's Spirit, we're in God's family, God is working in our lives all of his promises will come true for us and begin to come true for us even in this life.
1: Amen. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you guys so much for these questions. Um, Like I said, please continue to send them in. We want to wrestle with these throughout the week and be able to answer these together. Um, So thank you again, Stephen.
0: Yeah, let Um, me pray. Yeah. Okay, Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for our church and the questions. Um, We want to be connected to each other in this. Um, we desperately need your perspective and your word and your wisdom to fill our hearts and our lives so that we can face what's in front of us. And so help us to continue to do that. Help us individually to take the Bible in, whether it's through music or study or listening to it or uh, in conversations with each other. Um, Help us, God, to go deeper into your word so that we can be strengthened and built up, so that we can stand, so that we can stand under the weight of the life that we have and honor you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.